Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and today I'm glad to welcome a very talented guest to the show. He goes by the name of Beat Child, but you may know him from the past as Slack of the Beat Child, also the man behind the Slackadelics projects. His real name is Byram Joseph, and he's got to be one of the most versatile artists in Canadian music. He sings, he raps, he produces, he can play half a dozen instruments, probably more, and he's out with a new album, Heavy Rock and Steady, which he did all of the instrumentation for except for a guitar solo here and a string section there. He has worked with everyone from Drake to Shad to Melanie Durant, and he's a pretty nice guy, too. Here's his story. Heavy Rock and Steady, out now. How does it feel to have this one out after a, a long time in the making? It feels good. It's kind of like, for me, it's like a, a personal accomplishment. And I think that's the most important thing. If it's well-received, then that's just a bonus. Hmm. But for me, you know, I, I put in my mental, emotional, you know, creative energy, 150% to try to create something that's going to, you know, hopefully be around forever. Yeah. So it's kind of exhausting. Yeah. It's kind of exhausting in that sense. So to finish it is like an accomplishment. And to me, that's, that's it's just a good feeling. How are you in finishing a project? Are you able to let go or are there parts of you that's listening back and saying, oh, I wish I could have done this more or or this part sounds a bit off? Are you able to just kind of put a bow on it? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really big on com- completing things and, and making sure it feels whole. Um, that's why it takes so long for me to re- release it because <laughs> I never want to be in a situation where I listen back and I, and I regret a decision I make musically because there is no there is no kind of I don't I'm independent you know mm-hmm. there's no huge deadlines happening so why would I rush my art I think it's important to commit to certain things but um, the overall recording composition you know I'm, I'm definitely 150% sure of, of every element we did an interview about five years ago uh, I was just looking back at it uh, before we started talking and, and you were just putting out soul movement volume two at the time uh, take me through the, the past five years then, from then uh, until now. I guess I'm always writing. So I'm always writing music, whether it's for myself, for other artists. And um, I've, I'm have i in a momentum now, which is nice, because I'm in momentum and my kind of fan base, they're there and they're slowly growing. And so the past five years have been kind of a continuation of what I already started is just that ball is a little bigger now. So the past five years have been a lot of writing and recording after I put out a project after it's commercially released, I often take a breather and I'm not in creation mode. You know, for example, like in those five years, every moment of my, my day is filled with me coming up with ideas Mm. You know, in the shower, singing, sketching notes, just really trying to capture ideas and, and piece them together. Now that that album is out, it's kind of like, okay, just breathe. And my mind is not really in creative mode at all. I actually right. sat down at the piano like a few weeks ago and it just, it was, you know, I wasn't really feeling it. I'm just like, I, I don't want to be at a piano right now. <laughs> you're, you're tapped out. It's, it's the creative energy has been, been used up. It's got to be filled up again. 
Exactly, exactly. Uh, I want to go back to uh, hearing a bit about where you came from, Sarnia. What was it like yeah. uh, for you being a kid in Sarnia uh, growing up? Um, I think I'm, I was naive, which is great, you know, because it was just home. The older I got, the more I knew that it wasn't a place that I would be able to stay or stick around if I wanted to pursue music. That became very evident. Mm. Just the fact that, you know, there's no industry there, right? Right. And you have to go. You have to go where there's an industry. And I, I wanted to. I'd read somewhere. I remember. It, I'd read somewhere, and it said like, if you want to get into the recording industry, you need a, you need a mentor. You know, you need to be mentored by somebody who knows a lot more than you. And there, I, I felt like there wasn't that environment there, so I, I, I left. But Sarnia was Sarnia. You know, I don't know if the city itself had any type of influence on me musically. Mm-hmm. Musically, my influence came from home. And that was just music being played in the house by your parents? Were, were they playing music themselves, any instruments, or was it just records? Just records, you know. Like, there was a lot of UB40, I can remember. A lot of, like, Bob Marley. A lot of Soka and Calypso, like, the old school stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in Sarnia, we are close to the border. So we'd pick up stations from Detroit. So... I remember listening to a lot of the hip hop stations, right, and picking up for that. So you know, it was like UK reggae pop and Detroit kind of R and B and hip hop. Were you getting any like the the Detroit kind of electro sound too because of that influence? Or yeah. oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. Detroit had a thing going on, you know that I think they called it booty. So I, I I've never in my life heard that style of music anywhere else other than out of Detroit hmm. and um, to me that was normal <laughs> you know like but now you play that stuff so they'll be like what on earth is this it's really unique that they have like this this sound so that was like WJLB uh, yep. what what shows what, what were the shows called at the time if you were listening in oh. on a certain night or a uh, time oh, of day I couldn't, I couldn't remember <laughs> I just knew that there was no stations in Sarnia playing that yeah. and, and don't get me wrong I would listen to um, there was a station in Sarnia called 99.9 mm-hmm. the Fox FM and that was the that was the local station and I listened to that quite a bit too so I heard a lot of adult contemporary yeah a lot of that and then um, my dad would always listen to the AM station so I'd hear a lot of oldies like there was an oldie station he loved so I was always hearing a lot of oldies too and I appreciated all this all the music who that I heard mm. I never once it was cool because when you're young you know you don't know genre not until uh, somebody tells you I suppose otherwise not until, exactly yeah. not until somebody tells you so I uh, you know I was just hearing music what were you like in school where where were you fitting in the the friendships that you made it was you know I was a regular I was a regular average kid in school you know I everyone else always knew that I was the music kid they they knew I was the kid who was rapping and making beats mm-hmm um, I put out my first album in Sarnia when I was 16 or 17 years old. And, you know, it was quite an experience. You know, they supported me. And, you know, but we do regular things like go to Canatera Park, drive around, do nothing. Yeah. There was much to do in Sarnia. So that was like your, uh, grade 11, grade 12 when you're putting out that first, uh, first That's project. Right. Um, That's right. Little Drummer Boy, tell me about that, uh, how that <laughs> played a role in your, in your musical uh, progression. <laughs> yeah little drummer boy you know is back in like the early days of the internet you know it was like 
it was still a great resource and I, I just searched my way until I found a free drum programming sampler and little drummer boy was it and that would that introduced me to like beat making and mm. I had so much fun making beats I wouldn't even consider myself a producer at that point I just knew I loved making beats could you could you because I, I remember the FL studio trial version they wouldn't let you save anything can you save something on little drummer boy or did you have to do it all in one go no, you could you could save on Little Drummer Boy. I forgot what the limitation was. I don't think there was any, to tell you the truth. Yeah, it was super basic though. Like, like if you try to find a screenshot of it, it's it's just a guy in his basement who 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 could code. Uh huh. It's like it's pretty basic, but you know, it got the job done. And <laughs> <laughs> so that was was that your first album? Beats made on Little Drummer Boy, or had you progressed by more? <laughs> Uh, well, I, it was a combination of things, right? So I used three programs. Um, so to make the beats, I used Little Drummer Boy. I was getting into MIDI too, so I had this keyboard, mm-hmm. and I could do MIDI programming. So I would like create the samples using MIDI, like the music. I would export it as audio, and then I would import that sample into Little Drummer Boy, and then I'd do the drums on top of the sample. Once I made the, the music and the you know the beat with the music uh-huh. I would export it into this this program called uh, Acoustica Internet Audio Recorder or something like that I don't remember uh-huh. it was a, a track recorder basically and that's where I would record my vocals on top of the music now and what kind of mic are you recording with is it like a, a karaoke machine mic is it uh, no, just the, the kind some, of this is for the karaoke uh, days this is this is me getting into digital recording, so yeah. this would have been a uh, Radio Shack mic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, th- so this this was interesting to me because like digital recording now, I could see what I'm doing. You know, it's it's a little more kind of revealing when it comes to multi-track recording. Whereas when I was on the karaoke machine, you just hit record, and whatever sound I make, whatever music I make, it's just going to record that. And that's all you get. And that's all you see. That's all you know. Were you doing the high school performances or shows? Uh, did you have assemblies that you were performing at? Or was it more just performing for friends? Um, we, I performed, I performed at a few school things. Yeah, there's a few school things I performed at. Uh, which ones did I perform at? I don't know if it was a talent show, but I remember performing in the gym at the, in high school. Uh-huh. You know, this is like so experimental. This is, this is me like diving into this world of being a, you know, a rap R&B artist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so are you are you rapping or or performing over the full track or just the instrumental? Uh, what uh, what'd you have? Instrumental. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had tact even when I was young. You know, <laughs> that I could bum over the instrumental. <laughs> what was important to you then, as a as a young guy picking up a pen or, or crafting a beat? Uh, was it the recognition that you were looking for? Was it just performing at a certain venue? Was it was it the thought of doing a tour? What was it uh, that inspired the that earliest you know stoking the flames of what you thought you might achieve in the years to come? I think it was. Um simply put it was fun mm-hmm. i mean it still is fun but now i know i have a business alongside it so i have to be strategic hmm. but in that day I, you know it was just fun I, I i can remember the feeling of creating something and being so excited and going to bed happy and 
waking up so excited to hear what I created the day before hmm. and then popping and recording it onto a cassette da- uh, tape and listening to it on my Walkman and like I created this music and I can listen to it. It was such a like an exhilarating feeling, you know? Yeah, yeah. The first time you get your own music in a car yeah. to drive to. Totally, totally. And, you know, and, and you think it's pretty, you know, I guess we're all biased to our own creations, but right. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, where's the place in Sarnia that you're driving down with the windows down playing your own music? Is there a street? Well, I wasn't driving at the time. Okay. So yeah. I didn't have a car. It wasn't, it was more so kind of like listening to it on my Walkman yeah. or, or, you know, making that cassette tape and playing it on the family sound system. Mm. Mm-hmm. When was the first time you got on the radio? Hmm, that's a great question. The first time I got on the radio was in Toronto on Flow ninety three point five. So was this after you had moved already out of Sarnia? Yeah, I'd moved out of Sarnia already. I was nowhere near that world yet. I was very amateur still. Mm. Even when I got my first Airplay song, like I was still amateur, consider myself amateur at that time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was in, in Toronto, Flow ninety three point five, and it was a song I did with this artist named Arabesque. Mm-hmm. The song was called Mama Dig Me. I did the beat, and I think I sing background vocals on it too. What was that like? That was like amazing to me. It's just like, oh my goodness, I have a song on the radio, you know, and that really having a song on the radio really legitimizes you as an artist even if you're not right even if you're not you know right i mean especially flow too flow has a reputation uh a legacy in toronto of being there uh being a a station that you'd want to get played on right uh so to, to get on there totally totally and it really i think that tune really helped my career before you moved to toronto there was a time period you you were in architecture school. That was sort of where you were heading before ending up pursuing music. Tell me about that time in your life, the thoughts that were going through your head, where you thought your life was headed. Um, I think it was, um, I don't know what, how do I even describe that point in my life? You know, it was, I think it was depressing hmm. because I, I wasn't following, it sounds cliche, but I wasn't following kind of what I knew I should be following. But... I was doing it. I was kind of just settling, basically, because I I, there were, I had no other, nothing else seemed to be working. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what's the second best thing I can do? Okay, well, maybe I can get into the music industry if I pursue a really s- stable career in architecture, hmm. design and recording studios. And, you know, it, it still appeals to me, like studio design, but it's not really where my heart is, is you know? Yeah. So you were doing, how, how far did you get down the road of architecture school? How many I semesters? I did one semester yeah. until I was like, no. And you know what? It's like, it was, a, it was one of the, the instructors who told me to pursue what I want to pursue. We had to do this project and document the construction of a home from start to finish. Uh-huh. And uh, you had to video it and do like post-production and all that stuff. And everybody else in the program were like scratching their heads and, and making these really bad videos. And then the, our video was like banging. Like the production was great. I added music. It was just a really good product. And the mm. teacher's like, why are you in architecture? Like you should be doing something else in, in media or, or right. whatever. And I knew that 
I had a knack for, you know, that kind of thing. So he, it was kind of like a great reminder, just like, yeah, why am I doing this? I need to just find a way. Were you good as an architecture student or were they saying that like, you know, architecture clearly isn't working out for you, but, <laughs> but you seem pretty good at this. <laughs> you know, it's probably a bit of both. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I was, you know, when it, when it comes to like the math side of things, I always struggled. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love math. I think it's awesome. I appreciate it so much. But I'm not really, I'm not quick at it. So how soon after that do you make the move to Toronto and sort of jump into the deep end? Oh, it was like a, a, a month or two. Did you have a place lined up already in Toronto or was it was it kind of starting? Well, I knew my, my uncle lived in Toronto, so that was a huge stepping stone. Yeah. You know, that was very helpful um, having him because, I, you know, I paid rent, but it was with my uncle. So I had great, you know, very low rent and right. it's family. So tell me about the first few months or so of, of moving there, trying to make a go of it. Yeah, that was that was interesting. So, you know, my goal was, OK, just get a job, anything, get a job just so you can make money. But alongside this, you're going to be looking for a recording studio. Look for a great recording studio and walk mm-hmm. in there and basically tell them you're going to do anything they want. They don't have to pay me. Mm-hmm. I just want experience. That was my game plan to get into the industry. I was recommended by someone to go to Phase One Studios. And um, I walked in there and I was hungry. And they must have saw the hunger in my eyes because they said, okay, Monday. It was a Friday I went in. And they said, yeah. oh, wait, hey, show up, you know, you can intern, you're going to be taking out garbage and cleaning studios. And I, I thought that was like freaking amazing. I was so yeah. excited. What recording sessions were you there for uh, when you were uh, interning at phase one? What kind of things did you see or, or what kind of people did you see coming in the doors? Oh, you, uh, phase one's like one of the, it, they close now, but, it, you know, it was one of the most celebrated studios in Canada, you know, Um it's been around since the 70s and I would so many people walk through that door man like it was kind of surreal to tell you the truth you know Anne Murray to you to you know Bono from you to 50 Cent most deaf who else came through those doors so many people man and of course I was an intern right when when a lot of these these artists came through so it was like I'd yeah. see them for a split second and end up bringing them coffee or or whatever the case may be but it was yeah. it was enough to inspire you, you know. Like it was really cool. So that was that was it. You were you were into phase one. How long were you interning there for before kind of the next step in your career happens? Yeah, so I was there for like three four months, and then I got hired. So I was a paid intern, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then I eventually worked my way up to assistant manager, and I was at phase one for four years. And um, Throughout that period of time, I opened up my own space. I had the opportunity to rent a space, and I jumped on it, and I op- I built my own studio. And it's there where you know I met a lot of the local up-and-coming artists, like Drake mm-hmm. and uh, Melanie Durant, and it's that's where I brought them to record pretty much what Soul Movement Volume One is. What was the the street address in Toronto, or or the, oh, the sort of the layout of the studio? It was 16 Bimbrock and Scarborough, uh-huh. and uh, you'd have to go down these stairs, this like extra long flight of stairs into the basement, and then you know there was a, a lobby area, and then there was a dance studio that was run by my fr- my some friends of mine, mm-hmm. and my studio was to the left, and um, I had a booth, I had the main room, 
it was really cool. It was like a really cool spot. You had come from Sarnia, uh, in a place where you I talked about how there's not really the same kind of it's not happening there. You're not you're not finding a community where you feel like you're going to thrive musically. What was it like then to come to Toronto? Uh, what was the energy like at the time? The the people that you were meeting, just the feel, the, the creative feel of the city. It was very underground. Like when you look at the industry now, it was not on the map. There were so many like artists everywhere, but it was still this kind of like untouched gem. And uh, every you know everyone was everyone from kind of that wave was just trying to find their sound. You know we were looking up to the the Socrates and, and the uh, Cardinals, you know, those were the guys who kind of held the fort and they, you know, they've been doing it. So there was a lot of hunger with those mm. projects, you know, a lot, and we were all younger too. So we had more time, less responsibilities. So, you know, a lot of late night sessions mm-hmm. and um, just really going for it. What came first for you that, that first soul movement or uh, art of fresh? Uh, what, what was kind of the first big thing that you put together? Uh, after moving to Toronto? It was soul movement, definitely. Yeah, soul movement. You know, I had this vision. I had this vision of doing a, an album that would showcase me as a producer. And, you know, it, that took a long time to create as well. But, you know, I think part of the, the process was tracking down artists and actually getting, getting them in the studio. Yeah. But, um, it all, like, paid off in the end. I think it was a really wonderful experience. And it really reached, it really reached like, people. So that studio space you had in Scarborough, uh, were you living there too, or was this a purely purely studio space? There was one period of time where I think it was, so I had the studio, I got married when I was 21, and it didn't last. It lasted mm. like six months, and I was super depressed. I got rid of my apartment, and I was I was living out of my studio for about a month or two. I was just depressed. I wasn't. I probably wasn't even like really productive, mm-hmm. either. And then there's actually apartment on the very top floor of the studio that became available, and it was perfect. And I took that apartment, and so like I could wake up in the morning and go right down to the studio. Yeah, it was it was cool. So I, I spent you know a number of years living above there. Fast forwarding a little bit, uh, Soul Movement Volume One happens. Yeah, how are things progressing for you, or or what? When does it start to feel like? things are really clicking when do you really feel like okay i'm i've moved here from sarnia and i'm starting to i'm starting to make some roots here and get some recognition for the work that i'm doing i think it was when i started to realize that people knew who i was like strangers knew who i was Hmm. and you know to me that was like oh oh okay it didn't like happen overnight it was really gradual but really when i moved went to england to perform for the first time and I realized that I had a fan base. I had fans that like knew the album or were fans of songs. I was I was kind of taken aback. I was like, wow, my yeah. music reached this far. That and that was Soul Movement One. It was that it was then where I kind of felt like it was working. To think, I, I mean, especially you hear this a lot about Toronto, but sometimes it takes leaving to Toronto to see how, yourself getting recognition from other people, oh, uh, other cities. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. What was it like? I mean, and it's still the case in Canada, but uh, that that time period, it can be really hard to make a go of it as a career, especially mm-hmm. in hip hop. Maybe it's changing, but in those years, especially, what were the challenges that you were facing in you know putting your heart and soul into this? But the the industry, 
not really existing to be able to support that? Um, you know, there's ups and downs. You know, there's 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 times where I was able to do it full time, and there's times where it's like I need a job. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, when you get a job, it kind of like drains you of your creative energy. And you start mm-hmm. to like question if if you're gonna even be able to do this music thing. You know, there's ups and downs. It's uh, it's really hard, and I, I feel like the general public don't actually realize how hard it actually is, because most musicians put on a front like it's not a struggle because that's mm-hmm. part of the, you know, to be successful is part of the branding in 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 most genres of music. You right. know, you can't you can't portray yourself to be struggling. Unless you're a maybe a folk singer. Yeah, if if music is like a form of escapism, people don't really want to escape to <laughs> to uh, to feeling exactly. struggle. They want to escape to be- exactly. something better. Exactly. So so now you have this whole group, this whole industry, who are pretending to be successful. You know, when when eight out of ten artists all have day jobs, you know, mm-hmm. but they never talk about their day jobs. You know, and if they don't have a day job, they're really, really struggling, you know. So, like, we, as artists, you don't even talk to each other about the struggles. Right. You know, the only time you talk about the struggles is when you talk to someone you're really, really, really close with. And then you start to realize that, you know, oh, my goodness, we're both, like, starving. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you you confide in each other. And, you know, there, there had been periods in time where, you know, I would be encouraging another artist to keep going and not to give up, and or they would be doing that to me, and um, and it always bounces back, you know. You always bounce back, and there's always something, some opportunity, and then you get going again. Without sharing with other artists, I mean, you, you got to feel like you're the only one, and until you oh, know I, that somebody else is going through that too. Yeah, absolutely, and you can also share resources with each other. And when you know that someone is struggling, like, oh, really, you're going through that? Well, I was going through that, but you can do this and this and that. You know, and then the other person's like, oh, really? I can do that? And you, like there's so many things you can do as an artist to kind of kind of supplement those those rough times, mm. you know, or there's there's tricks, you know, there's, you know, you're basically a freelancer at the end of the day. You know, freelancers in any industry kind of go through this, but it's extra hard for, for an artist. Right. As you're as you're going through this, was there a point when you realized that? Like, and by that, I mean, <laughs> as you're growing up. What you're hearing on the radio and what you're seeing if you're watching music videos is you're seeing hip-hop portrayed one way. Is there a point when you realize, oh, nobody's or, – or only a very few number of guys are actually really making money doing this and the rest are taking other jobs? Was there a, a crystal clear moment of realizing that or uh, – I think there was. Um, I'd have to really think about it. Um, I think it came down to like when you find out that – it's like meeting your heroes when you find out that certain mm-hmm. people – have jobs right and you're like, oh he has a job he needs yeah. a job so then it starts to kind of hit you it's just like if i thought this particular artist who is successful in my eyes still needs a job then you know it's a lot harder than than i think it is right without naming anybody you know right yeah yeah and and but and you know what that was a it was a it took a few years for that to actually become humbling more than anything than it being a mm-hmm. revelation you know it's it became kind of uh, a really important topic to me after i kind of you know matured as an artist and as a man and mm-hmm. it's something that 
is almost not frowned upon, but you're viewed once that's revealed in the artist community, you know, it's kind of like a a measuring bar. And I think that we shouldn't have to hide that. I don't know Mm. why, I don't know why people are like so quick to hide that. You know, I've been in writing sessions or I've, I've bumped into like artists at restaurants doing serving jobs and they are all, they're all embarrassed that they see me. Mm -hmm. They're like, Oh, busted. I'm like, it's like, it's really hard. Right. You know, we have monthly bills. We don't get paid monthly as artists. Like, but still there's this kind of stigma that you're not successful, quote unquote, whatever that is, if you have a day job. Right. Oh, yeah. Human pride is uh, a tough thing to to quell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I can only speak for for my growing up from Kitchener-Waterloo. I know what it's like to live in a city where Toronto is kind of seen as just just by sheer nature of moving to Toronto, it's almost seen as a success. I'm not sure if Sarnia is the same, uh, where just to get out almost feels right. like you've succeeded in the first place. Uh, <laughs> how how often are you coming back to Sarnia, and then what is that like to to be talking to your peers as they're asking you, you know, how things are going for you in the music industry? Oh, I love going back to Sarnia because it's it's so peaceful, you know. And you you older I get, the more I appreciate the city. It's quite a unique city, and um. It's, it's, you know, it's a thriving city. And when I go back, I often bump into old schoolmates. But I, I don't like, I don't like talking about Toronto when I bump into them. Right. Because I never would want to give the impression that's just like, I made it out. Because I don't feel like I made it out. Mm-hmm. I went where I had to go. For some people, staying in Sarnia is the best thing they could have done for their life, you know? Like I know a lot of guys who's stayed there. They're working like in the plants and they're making like triple digit, you know, or mm-hmm. six six digit salaries, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they're they're enjoying life. So I didn't make it out. I just had to go where I had to go. When in your musical progression did Beat Child and the Slackadelics come along? Well, I guess first it was just the Slackadelics. But, but when did you start expressing that side of, of yourself? So I've, I've always went by Slack of the Beat Child. Mm-hmm. After, after, was it after Soul Movement? Yeah, I think it was after Soul Movement. An artist I collaborate with came into the studio and she looked at me and she said, Slackadelic. And uh, I looked at her and I said, I love that. I'm going to be using that somehow, some mm-hmm. way, one day. And um, as I started to get more into live instruments and experiment more with kind of live instrumentation, I knew that I was onto something special that was different. And I wanted to separate that kind of sound from the soul movement sound. So I kind of coined that sound, the Slackadelics. Had the creative well sort of been tapped in the Slack of the Beat Child world? Like, were you, were yeah. you just kind of running out of inspiration? Of doing that kind of music? Yeah, I was, I was just getting kind of, I was getting bored. You know, even when I listen to this, the new Slackadelics album, Heavy Rock and Steady, I'm bored now. And mm-hmm. I'm ready to, like, up it. <laughs> I'm ready to up it. And that's how I was feeling with after Soul Movement 1. I wanted to do something that challenged me more. So how much of a how much of an instrumentalist were you before Slackadelics came along? Were you already playing guitar? Were you already playing all of that? Yeah, I was already playing guitar, but it was all kind of under the soul realm. It was under the soul realm. And, you know, there was 
I was listening to all types of music, and I remember listening to this mix CD, and it was a bunch of psychedelic rock, pro- progressive rock, and I fell in love with it, and uh, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, in, in you know, incorporate that into my music making. You know, music discovery I think is so important. Like it's ear training. Um, that's why I always love listening to just anything mm. and everything. Okay, I want to ask you about a tweet of yours as well, and I, I don't even know when this one came from, so it might have been a while ago, but you've said before, you tweeted before, if you've never lost your mind, you've never followed your heart. I think, well, I don't know when I wrote that, um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with it. I think that the things that kind of drive us to insanity are the things that we're passionate about. You know, you think of the wisest minds that have ever, you know, walked the, the face of this earth, they were all like, they've all lost their minds or they were all like borderline crazy, but they always pursued something that they were so passionate about. Mm. And, and what they pursued had so much potency because they were so passionate about it. And so they would be able to reveal things to the rest of us that are basically like truths, you know, that no one else would dare explore, you know, and it applies to anything. It can apply to like love. It can apply to a passion like music. It, it can apply in, in with all those things. You're going to always have conflict. Has it applied in your case? Have you felt like you're, you're, you're pursuing your passion? Are you feeling like the, the threads are pulling at, at times? I think it's more of kind of, you know, when you get deep into something that makes you feel good, something that makes you feel complete and whole. The more you get into it, the more you get into the, you know, you peel back the layers, the more you realize that there's so much more to know. There's The more you realize the possibility, the endless possibilities. And I think that that can make you lose your mind. In simple terms, you know, like I don't want to like, I don't want to simplify you know, mental illness in any way. Sure. I think, I think what I'm kind of speaking to is more kind of a internal emotional labyrinth that you might find yourself in when you get deep into something that you don't want to turn away from. Hmm. Now that heavy rock and steady's out, you've had time to reflect what, what's giving you energy now or what's, uh, what's getting you up in the morning now that you don't have this, looming project to build towards um i have a son so that's that definitely gets me up in the morning um <laughs> whether whether you want to wake I, up or not is that is that I, the... <laughs> yeah, yeah whether i want to get up or not but creatively right now i'm working on some really interesting projects that are music related i don't know how much i can get into it but i'm, I'm launching something for music producers that advocates for canadian music producers through research and development so that's that's kind of like my my one of my projects right now that I'm really inspired about. Well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. Glad to catch up with you. Glad to to hear the music is out. Yeah, man. Thank you so much too.
That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you want to know more about Beat Child, you can check out his music. Start with the single, The Only Difference with Justin Nizuka. If you enjoy the show, you can do me a favor and hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review. You can also keep in touch. Send me an email at storyuntoldpodcast at gmail.com or follow along on Facebook at facebook.com slash storyuntoldpodcast. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman and this was A Story Untold. See you next time. (laughs) 